this time we take a look at the nihilistic prison movie Alien 3. Along the way we ask, was this movie really David Fincher's fault? How does a group of prisoners find religion? And what does Waylon Mutani have to do to earn some trust? In an insane world, a sane podcast must appear insane. This is Forcefed Sci-Fi. All right, gang, welcome back to another episode of Forcefed Sci-Fi. I am one of your co-hosts, Sean Michael Culp, and along with me is my friend and co-host. I am Chris Rupp. <laughs> you always say, I am Chris Rupp. So epic. <laughs> no uh, alien, though, huh? You don't want to be a prisoner? No, um, this not, this Fury 161 is not a place I want to find myself on the ass end of the universe. Fair enough. You know uh, how, so a little bit, I like how they called it Fury, but it does have to say, for me, uh, David Tweet, he wrote the initial, you know, concepts. For Riddick, he calls it Furia. So it makes me wonder if, like, he just, like, started with this. He's like, oh, let's just add an A. And I mean, it, go. it could be that he likes to try and create like a shared universe for his movies, but <laughs> he's not prominent enough like Tarantino or George Lucas to actually do something like that. We won't know until Riddick 4 comes out. Who knows? Like, that's that's the alien. Just it's not coming up. out. Vin Diesel's got that Fast and Furious Disney money now. There's no way he's going to do another one. You don't think so? No. I, uh, well, he loves the franchise. I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, all Vin Diesel has to do nowadays is show up for a 20-minute session says, I Groot, and <laughs> walk out of the studio, and he's got his money. He's not going to do another Riddick movie. Uh, we'll see. I know he loves it, so I will agree to disagree. I'm pumped. I hope so. So please, Vin. I love the Harrison Ford Jack Ryan movies, but I also know I'm not going to see another one. Yeah, that franchise is dead. Yeah. I think Ben Affleck, it died with Harrison. It's John Ford. Krasinski's role now. Yes. Yeah, and he's crushing it. Yeah, he is. We right. don't. Before we get too far into the weeds of uh, dead franchises, though, <laughs> <laughs> we're back continuing our look into the Alien franchise. At least the original set of films. We're diving into David Fincher's directorial debut of Alien Three. And uh, just a brief synopsis to kick things off. Uh, when their stasis sleep is interrupted after the events of Aliens, Ripley crash lands on the prison planet known as Fury 161, only to find out that she is the only survivor once again. And while she's dealing with this trauma, an alien is set loose on the prisoners and Ripley now has to fight what looks like a losing battle. <laughs> Which, okay, a losing battle. It does seem pretty losing, right? Because this film starts off with everyone dying. It starts off with a lot of people dying. And then as the film goes on, we find out that she has an alien queen in her chest that she was somehow implanted with. So no matter what happens, she's either going to be killed by an alien or she's going to be killed when the queen bursts out of her chest. Impending doom. Right. From the get-go. Right. Which I will say that is a little bit of a gripe. Because, well, I get how they could say maybe the alien queen laid an egg in her, I guess, fight with uh, Ripley right at the end of Aliens. But it felt kind of far-fetched for me. There's a lot of mental gymnastics, I think, you have to do to try to figure out exactly what happened during um, their interruption from uh, Stasis. As we find out Hicks is dead. Yeah. Newt is somehow dead. Drowning. Could be 
Bishop is still uh, bisected, and yeah, Ripley's the only one who survived. Mm-hmm. They they set the tone early in this film where they were like, "We're just going to cleanse the palate from aliens." It's a little disappointing that they were so willing to disregard the past characters. I think a lot of people had latched on to Hicks from the first film, and same with Newt that she was. Uh, she was a child, but we don't actually see Michael Bean in this movie. We see a picture of him, and we see him crushed to death with blood everywhere. Which he, from what I read, he wanted money <laughs> to be referenced in this film, and he got his money. Like he he said, "Oh heck no, I want a paycheck, baby." Which we could talk about why this went through development hell. Well, it, for a long time. that could be the case. Because I think of he, all the money. I think he wanted a paycheck because he was set to be included in Terminator 2 Judgment Day mm. in a flashback scene. But if you if you've all seen the theatrical cut of that, you notice there's a severe lack of Michael Bean in that movie. So it's like two franchises in a row. They totally disregard his character. He's like, "Oh hell no, not again." Not again. I mean, but Michael Bean showed back up in an episode of The Mandalorian, so it's all good. He's 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 coming out okay. <laughs> Thirty years later. <laughs> hey, if Michael Keaton can get a renaissance, I'm confident Michael Bean can get a renaissance. But I think there's a big stark contrast to Michael Keaton and Michael Bean. Michael Keaton, in my opinion, is a little bit better of an actor. Way more iconic. Michael Bean has a niche, and that niche is dark science fiction. There's a lot of dark science fiction out there. You can cast Michael Bean in something and have it be awesome. <laughs> well, he can continue on with that. <laughs> so, cast and crew, this film uh, has the return of Sigourney Weaver with a hefty fine of $5 million. Though we also have another Pete Postlewaite sighting. Yes, finally. He's been long in hiding since his first appearance on our very first episode, Inception. And got to say, one of the best character actors i think that's ever been on screen he's just like his head Mm -hmm. is so shiny it looks like he (laughs) waxes it up every morning and he's just so captivating to watch on screen because he plays his character so well like i as a kid at the first film i saw him in was a lost world jurassic park and yes he was on the side of the bad guys but dang he was so cool to watch on screen and he makes a compelling argument like one of those bad people that you can kind of humanize with, which shows, I think, that's how you know you're a good actor. We also have another sighting of uh, Walter Charles Dance because we uh, reviewed him in uh, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Yes. He was in that, and we have a nice return with him in this, and he is fantastic. I forgot how good he was as an actor. When we, I saw him, I'm like, oh, my God, that guy's so familiar. And he's, he's he, really good. He is so good in everything. And I think a lot of people of our generation, at least, were introduced to Charles Dance either through Last Action Hero or Game of Thrones, where he shows up as Tywin Lannister. I have not seen Game of Thrones, so well, I cannot comment. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we also get Charles S. Dutton as Dylan, who was Fortune the very next year in Rudy. And love Charles Dutton. It's always nice to see him on screen. I think he's a great actor. Um, I felt like for this, though, he was they were trying with his. Well, he has so much memorable dialogue in this movie. He is throwing out F-bombs left and right. But I feel like for his character, they were trying to recreate the lines like from uh, James Cameron's. They're like, oh, maybe with him, he can be Samuel L. Jackson. This was basically Parker 2.0 from the first film. It's like Yafet Koto wasn't available, but Charles S. Dutton is, <laughs> and he does. He crushes it. Yes, he's he, he provides for the script compelling character indeed. 
Uh, we also get rounding out the rest of the cast. We got Brian Glover as Andrews, Ralph Brown as Aaron, Paul McGann as Golick, Danny Webb as Morse. The return of Lance Hendrickson, both as uh, well Bishop. The first one's more like an animatronic, but his voice mm. is played back. And then we get, uh, I guess, Bishop 2.0, the yeah. human, the creator of Bishop shows up. The guy, a friendly face. <laughs> and I will say, though, for Brian Glover, I didn't know much about him. I did a little research. He's an English actor and writer, and, uh, you know, I'll plug. He's a, He was a professional wrestler, which I love, and a teacher, and then an actor. So this dude, he's like... He had a life. This dude lived a full life. That's like the Liam Neeson type of career. <laughs> right? It's like, you know, this teaching thing, even though I've been doing it for 15 years, didn't work out for me. Maybe I'll try acting. <laughs> I'm going to wrestle. Eh, acting. Let's just let's just go. What a life, dude. What a well, life. acting for like for at least professional wrestlers is a very easy job to, tra- to like transfer into. I mean, obviously, Dwayne Johnson's the big example of that. But mm-hmm. you can go back in the early 2000s and you see a bunch of professional wrestlers Roddy show up Piper. in all kinds of movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper in They Live. Hulk um, Hogan was in Rocky. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was playing a wrestler in Rocky Three, so I don't know how much acting he actually had to do for that. <laughs> true, very true. Like Kurt Angle in uh, Warriors and Pain and Gain. But it is that. Hey, there you go. So if you want to be an actor, just uh, join professional wrestling. Yeah. But in addition to Michael Bean not reprising his role, Carrie Henn does not reprise her role as Newt in this time around because obviously she, yeah she's uh, apparently once you get to like 14 you're just like no can't have you around anymore kid <laughs> you hit puberty it's too late we're giving you the shirley temple treatment <laughs> get out of here i thought so because like when they pan over her dead body i'm like that doesn't that doesn't really look but they definitely treated her like a crispin glover you know from back to future too quick like, cuts yes. like you can't figure you can't see that it's uh not her like, you don't know that it's her, but you also don't know if it's not her. Yeah. they Well, they treated it with the best that they could, you know? Yeah. Even though she was still somehow, despite being deceased, an integral part of the story. And as we mentioned, this is the directorial debut of one David Fincher, who has now ascended to great legendary status as a director. But the man got his start filming commercials and Madonna music videos. Which, that's that's a way to go. Madonna videos to now seven gone girl what a what a trek that's wild to me that you can start off your great academy award nominated career by being nominated for an mtv video music award yes (laughs) what a what a way what a way to go i will say i don't know if you did any like uh trivia on this movie but so there before, like, with production, I guess we want to go into their cinematographer, Jordan uh, Cronenwith. Mm-hmm. He's pretty uh, famous in a way. He did uh, Blade Runner, which is kind of nice, the cinematography for that. He was nominated for Academy Award, Best Cinematography. He actually ended up having to pull out two weeks into production because he got Parkinson's disease. So it really makes you wonder what kind of film this would have been shot at if you had this Academy Award winning uh film you know cinematographer it would have been different but i think in a nice twist of faith um <laughs> since david fincher couldn't work with um the elder cronin with you um his son actually works with david fincher on a lot of his films i think he's done uh, awesome. the girl with the dragon tattoo he did mank for him in 2020 which he actually won an academy award for so oh my God. i mean so a lot of things i mean definitely worked out i mean and, legacy yeah and his and his son by all accounts is is 
just as talented as his father was. Um, Talk no, about actually, I'm I'm mistaken. That was Eric Messerschmidt that uh, that basically works exclusively with David Fincher. So mm. that's my mistake there. No worries, no worries. What about you know? Speaking of mistakes, there was a lot of mistakes with this script. Oh, jeez, <laughs> this thing went through so many revisions and development hell because Aliens came out and they're like, "Money, baby, cash. We got to find some way to prolong this thing," and they it went through severe rewrites. I mean, if you look at the Wikipedia page and onward, there's like, at one point, there's like five different writers. It's insane. Yeah, it started off with um, a, a sci-fi cyberpunk author named of William Gibson. He was hired to write the what was supposed to be the third film. Um, the, <laughs> the producers asked him to write this script because there was going to be a, a strike by the Writers Guild of America, yes! and that was a way <laughs> that was their way of getting around that. Wow. <laughs> but I mean, in reading it. And at least this outline that William Gibson had set up, I can't help but feel like that this maybe, this maybe should have been the film that they went with, at least to some extent. I mean, but it was openly mocked by executives. They called it "quote space commies hijack alien <laughs> eggs, big problem in Wall World." Um, <laughs> His Marxist space empire element—it's just insane. But it's weird that there's this also pretty big subculture of alien fans that have adopted William Gibson's unproduced script as sort of like the unofficial sequel to aliens because it's gotten, it's gotten a comic series. There was an audio book. There's also supposed to be a novelization of this script coming soon. Well, it makes sense. Cause you know, that concept alone, right? Space commies hijacked, uh, space commies hijacked alien eggs, big problem, all world. You can branch out with that. Like that, that's just such a interesting story to just unfold and take off as opposed to the one that we got where it's kind of, it's very, there's a finality to the film. So I'd be kind of curious to see the comics to this. And I think once, when we get to the other screenwriters who develop scripts for this, we definitely start to see elements of those scripts kind of become combined into Alien 3. Because then it moves to a screenwriter by the name of Eric Red, who wanted an entirely different approach new set of characters new subplots mm. new breeds of alien but that was completely rejected because the producers thought it deviated too far from the original story and then you get david Tui's script where it kind of ends up focusing more on the prison planet being used for legal experiments on aliens for biological warfare division which they kind of felt this was a little bit too similar as well to previous movies, so it was left in development hell. But they ended up taking that element of the prison planet. So like as these continue on, you can see where the end of writers just kind of pick and choose. Yeah, this is yeah, this is where it's we start getting into the early nineties and nothing has gotten off the ground. We're four years removed from aliens, and this is when a director by the name of Vincent Ward is hired by the producers. And this is also the point in time in which David Toohey leaves the production because they found out they were developing another script based yep. on what he was working on. And he just said, screw you guys, I'm leaving. Yeah, which is fair enough to him. You know, take your gun and run with it. Because he didn't really want to, um, he didn't want to focus on Ripley, I believe. He wanted to kind of expand on the project. But Fox was like, no. We have to cash cow this thing out. We got to focus on her. And 
this is kind of where you really see the finished product, right? Because doesn't Rip uh, Sigourney Weaver start demanding money and input on the script? Yeah, it's. I think more so than William Gibson's version of Alien Three, this is the film that should have been made, and this is largely the film that we get in a much different setting with different with different characters. Um, and a, this was also the film where the idea emerges for Ripley to sacrifice herself to kill the alien. Mm-hmm. And the studio wanted a different version of that, but Sigourney Weaver would only agree to the film if Ripley died. <laughs> so yes, this is also too where we see Sigourney Weaver start to having more creative control of the script. And, and finally we get to like the last portion of development here. Cause this is after Vincent Ward refused to budge on any sort of creative suggestions from Fox and Walter Hill and David Geiler step in to write the final draft of the script. And they, this was their baby. They helped conceive it way back in the late seventies. And Sigourney, we read a clause in her contract that only these two guys could write the final draft of the script. How do you get that clause? Like that's an insane clause. That's like, well, that's like Michael Jordan being like, I can only be coached by Phil Jackson. You, that's having an insane amount of clout to basically do whatever you want. I mean, the first two films were nothing less than cash cows for, uh, for 20th Century Fox. And Sigourney Weaver, at this point, she is a full-on icon. Oh, yeah. I mean, you just look at her, her filmography after Alien. She has got Ghostbusters, Gorillas in the Mist. She does Ghostbusters 2. And... She has so much clout. She is a major box office draw. And this is also the the trap that some studios get into where they just capitulate to stars left and right because they have major clout and because it's not mm. the director that you have attached. It's the people on screen. Unless your director is named Quentin Tarantino or James Cameron or Steven Spielberg, your movie is no guarantee to be a hit without stars. But they feel that because she's in it, anyone was going to pay to see it. So I get where they went with it. But still, Uh, it's kind of when you see movies that actors kind of have a little bit too much input. They're like, oh, no, 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 no. Listen to to our previous episode on Battlefield Earth. (laughs) Yes, you have to have that. You know, you have to screen some ideas. You can't let them run with it. But she had the idea of no guns. No guns. Which is a big uh, change from, and I think though why they went with it is because the last film was just so gun oriented and action esque. Maybe she wanted to try a different spin. Well, there were dozens of aliens on screen at a time. What were you gonna do? Like, use a pokey thing? Right. <laughs> There's only so many flamethrowers, right? You can only eject so many. So she went with that. They took the prison concept. And by the time shooting actually starts, David Fincher is a director mm-hmm. and he worked on the screenplay for a little bit, but Walter Hill and David Glyler had to step in and <laughs> do all of that. By the time filming starts, they had spent $7 million. Which is nuts already. And that, well, this is in 91. So that's kind of decent money back then. It's decent money. The final budget for the film was anywhere between 50 and $60 million, which nowadays is about 90 to $110 million. Mm. That's a lot of movie, and that's it's fifteen million out the gate. That's like twice the budget that Aliens guy, and Aliens is like twice the movie. <laughs> so little, so it must be said they started off on the wrong foot. They're already kind of sinking. 
Yeah, it doesn't feel... This movie somehow manages to not feel like it's a $50 million movie. Yeah, story-wise, it just feels... Well, it kind of feels like the Star Wars sequels because it's like, oh, they didn't have a plan. Or they had somewhat of a plan, but you can really feel at different points where they're like, oh, this is where they ran out of pages and they're just kind of winging it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Never start a film without the script finish. No, yeah, the script was unfinished, and then <laughs> they had to they had to go in with just like, all right, we've got fifty pages written so far. <laughs> all right, good enough. <laughs> Let's go. All right, we'll work out the other ones as we go. It's all good. <laughs> oh God, but out of the uh, without the script being finished, what did you think of the things in the film? <laughs> Creature, special effects. Let's break this down. I mean, more so to me, at least from the previous films, this somehow feels irredeemably hopeless. <laughs> irredeemably hopeless. It's in what this, do you mean? It's in this dank prison environment. Ripley is the only woman, and she's amongst these cons who have done horrible, horrible things. They're strapped on a planet that they cannot get off of. They're there for the end until the end of their days. Her her surrogate family is now dead. Yeah. She has nothing left to live for. And it just seems wrong to have Ripley here because everybody on this planet has done something wrong to wind up here. All the prisoners, even the wardens, doesn't seem like a good person. He seemed like he was a problem in his past job, and the company just sent him here. It just seems... <laughs> Shuffle him around. Yeah, it seems unfitting for Ripley to wind up in an environment where everybody has done something to deserve to be here. She's the one shining light, Chris. The one light that ends up having an alien inside her chest. Yeah, and her whole life is just... this. Is, imagine that life. Three movies now, everyone you know has been killed, and now you're going to die. Yeah, and of course, since she's the only woman here, of course, there's oh. of course there's going to be a parade of guys who want to try and rape her. Which, uh, I mean, I'm glad. So they did, they were kind of heavy-handed. I am a rapist. I'm a bad person. I'm glad that it wasn't too heavy-handed, but they did still have some of the tropes. The one scene where the guys try to gang up on her. Yeah. Gotta have that, apparently, in a movie, you know? And they probably set up until this point, like, eight or nine times. She shouldn't be out wandering alone. She yes. shouldn't be out wandering alone. And what does she do? She goes out wandering alone. <laughs> there are a lot of character choices in this film where you're just like, why? Like, even the medical guy, Charles Dance, um, he's like, why can't you tell me what's up? Like, what's going on? And she doesn't want to tell him. This man that she barely knows that about the alien, she's just hiding it. And so... Some of those choices, you're like, why, why don't you just tell the guy? Well, she's hiding it by using sex. Yeah, yeah, she is. Like, she's just distracting, like, she's distracting from the point by saying, do you find me attractive? Oh and then they, they sleep together. So it's it's the first. <laughs> just, just bang me. <laughs> Good, I'll well, it's the first you. time that in the series that Ripley, like, gives up a part of herself. Yeah. Just to distract from the issue. <laughs> she's tired of, she's done everything she could. But even he. I guess he doesn't tell her his story, you know, his mysterious past. No, he waits until they sleep together, and then she's, and then he tells her in the hopes of like, hey, maybe she'll sleep with me again. <laughs> it's been so long. And then he gets brutally murdered. Yeah. Poor man. <laughs> and which I'll say uh, to me, he he's like pretty much almost my red shirt. 
dance because I felt his character was just killed off way too soon. And he just had so much potential. Like, he actually had chemistry with her. A lot of potential. Definitely the smartest one of the bunch here. <laughs> I mean, Dylan was definitely the most courageous and most leadership worthy. But, yes, mm-hmm. Clemens was the smartest one. Um, but then throughout the course of the film we you know ripley she is like oh i got stomach cramps mm-hmm. my throat feels dry we find out she has an alien queen in her chest which takes a long time to hatch takes a long time to hatch <laughs> and a long time to get to that point yes this is the longest chest burster you know that buildup that i've ever seen in these movies well it's horrible too to, and she has to watch all these people die around her again just so they can kill an alien and she can't but she can't even get killed by the alien. No. It, it, you know, it senses the queen inside her, and it has actually that really good scene where it comes right, right after they kill Clemens. Uh, it show, you know, gets right up to her, it like sniffs her, and the little small mouth comes out of the big mouth, and you're like, ooh. Kudos to Sigourney Weaver. Hell of an actor, and that's another great shot. I love this series for its little close-up scenes like that. <laughs> Three in a row, baby. But that does not save this film. No, I mean, and it's she can only die by her hand. Yes, and that's what makes it like so, so hopeless. There's no way out for her. She can't be killed by the alien. Um, and then the company shows up and tries to say we can save you, but they really can't because everything we've seen up until this point, when you have one of the chest bursters inside of you, it's over. Yeah. They're not going to operate. I mean, and I was thinking about that, too, while watching the film. Like, what are they going to do? Cut her open and let the thing cut? No. They're going to cut her open, take it, and leave with her big gaping Right, chest. and then they're going to throw her into, like, a like in one of the smelting pots. <laughs> yeah, she's not going to get saved by these guys. I mean, though, and it was such a company move, sending Bishop. Bishop 2, I guess. You know? Oh, it's a guy you've seen. Maybe she'll come along. I guess we find out that his actual name is Michael Whalen Bishop. Mm-hmm. So he is he is a company man. He's a company man. And to say like, oh, the company thought you would want to see a friendly face. Like she didn't like you for the majority <laughs> of the past film. She's very distrustful of androids and their appearance. So I don't think you showing up in the likeness of somebody that she barely likes. <laughs> Wrong move. That's not, yeah, that's not the best move to get her on your side. Though you do get to see Bishop again. They bring back the, um, and they do actually a pretty good job, animatronic version of uh, Bishop. And, you know, because she plugs him into him to, like, get the recording of the black box to figure out, you know, what happened and everything. So that was kind of, to me, that was nice. It was a little reference back to Aliens, because I actually like Bishop's character. Yeah, Bishop was great. He just was he was distrusted by ripley yes but i did like how he uh chose to go out he's like unplug me yeah don't don't try to fix me i hurt just (laughs) let me go which i i enjoyed his android and i think his android kind of this scene in a way and him from the last movie kind of set the precedent for the future films the prequels of the androids having a little bit more of a personality a soul Still very duplicitous. Yes. <laughs> they do borrow. And I feel that's kind of a big problem with the script here is instead of branching out and creating their own story, they kind of harken back to the first one. No weapons, tight space. It just looks red. Even the alien's red. 
Right. You know, they minor changes, but not enough, you know, to make its own grandiose story. And then this also this further emphasis on the company being the boogeyman in this film. (sighs) I wish they wouldn't have, you know, like they should have just done something different. But, you know, it's like, what are you going to do? You always have the Sith. In Star Wars, <laughs> there is the light and there's the dark, and in this instance, like the dark is twofold. It's the alien and it's the company. <laughs> and sure enough, as soon as the company gets whiff that Ripley has that uh that a chestburster, a, a queen is in her, like they come running. They're like, ooh, ooh, money. <laughs> because even the warden is like, nobody's ever been here this fast. They're on their way. They're are hauling ass to get here. <laughs> Which I will say, I love the warden's line when Ripley tells him about the alien. He, he, he calls it generally unpleasant. Like, what a way to describe the alien. Generally unpleasant. That had me rolling. Well, yeah, it's got a little <laughs> mouth. It just goes zoop and, like, takes chunks out of people's brains. But that, but generally, unple- generally unpleasant is, like... Having to sit through dinner, having to like fart and keeping it in. But That's such like a British response. <laughs> yes, they had so much British in the wankers. They had the one dude calling, uh, he's such a wanker. I'm like, yes, yes. <laughs> Love the Brits. Like, where are, are we on the docks at Croydon? Or like, is, are, is this a bunch of factory workers in Yorkshire? Like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> they had to. Because didn't they film? I feel like they filmed in Britain for like two weeks. They did. They this It was primarily shot in Britain. <laughs> but this really also gets away from the, the, the diversity that we saw in the past two films. Yes. I mean, it's there's two black guys, but it's mostly it's white guys who just like, OK, you look like you could be in a prison. So, yeah, you're in the movie. <laughs> a bunch of white skinheads. Yeah. <laughs> two black guys. Yeah. The diversity is very much gone. Yeah. <laughs> but we do get to see a new alien. It's called a runner. It. it the first time the alien uh, mates with a dog, or I guess, you know, inseminates a dog, which is kind of nice, you know. It, you get to see, poor dog. Yeah. Poor dog. Though in the extended version, or the other version, it's an ox, which is kind of interesting. I have such a visceral reaction to, like, pained dog noises. <gasps> and that poor dog, like, it's just laying on the floor, foaming on the mouth. It's... <laughs> There's, you know, like the big thumping that's going on at its chest cavity of the chest burster trying to get out. And it just it was just like, oh, I can't watch this. I had to skip ahead a little bit because there's just so it's basically like dog torture porn is what it is. Yes. And you know what? Even the prisoners, you're like, you jerks, because they hear the dog squealing in pain and they just look over like, meh, nothing's wrong here. It's like, what human? Like, if you come across a dog squealing in pain, no, most people I feel like would stop and be like, oh, poor little dog. No, they let that dog suffer. Yeah, I can't handle that. Like, there's a scene in the Netflix show Midnight Mass where a dog is poisoned. Oh, my God. And it lasts for, like, 30 seconds. It was just, no, don't kill the dog. <laughs> oh, my God. This is, like, the second episode in the series. I'm like, why? Why are they doing this? There's no reason to kill the dog. <laughs> Start him off on a hard note. Which I guess the dog can be a red shirt, too. But without the dog, we wouldn't have gotten the cool little runner alien, which it's on all fours this time. It's on all fours. It's uh, it, it's also the first indication in the series that the alien takes on traits of it, like its host body. Yes, the alien in this one, it 
people say, oh, they question the intelligence, you know, it's on all fours. It just kills people as opposed to the last film, the alien would drag the bodies and, you know, harvest them to turn into eggs so it could like hatch more. This one's just like, I'm just going to brutally murder everyone. And then they also can kind of bamboozle it at the end, you know, with the little chase scene. So are it can aliens be dumb? I guess this is our, if anything, it's a critical point on dogs. It, They're really making a statement on the intellect of dogs here. <laughs> I mean, for a quote unquote dumb alien, it manages to kill just about everybody at the facility. So, you know. I mean, it did what it wanted to do. It did. But people are like, oh, well, what it should have done is made them into eggs and, you know, set them up for the queen. But it's like, you know, this is neither here nor there. You know, I'd be curious to see an alien that mated with a cat. What kind of alien would that be? It would be like... That'd be, <laughs> that, that would be a lazy alien. <laughs> it would be. And it's only active at night. <laughs> you just see it laying on the ground. So at the same time, it would be really lazy and easy to kill and also really terrifying because it's active at night. <laughs> but food motivated. Yeah, but food when it's hungry, yes. Yes. But if you scratch its head enough, it'll just start purring. It'll start, you know, moving its back leg and moving its tail. And, you know, you can train it. You just have to keep it locked up, you know, at night so it doesn't bite your head off. Oh, my God. Yes. This is what I wanted to hear. Oh, my God. So we get that. I don't know if you read about Giger. He was pretty. They uh, they asked Giger to uh, take part in the creation of this, and then he just went like crazy. Uh, he sent David Finch like a bunch of drawings, and then they're like, "No, that's that's good. We don't need any more." They they disregarded his idea, and then he just went insane because he felt he deserved more. Uh, I guess onus. He deserved more uh, respect for his contribution. So then I guess he ended up just sending. Finch like endless faxes of drawings like after they cut it off and they're like no more you're good Giger he was like no I'm gonna fax you every single day continual like drawings and things it's kind of a little a little obsessed uh it just seems like he it was a cash grab from him yeah <laughs> because uh, conceptual artists in Hollywood they're not paid a whole lot of money and yeah. I think he was and I think he was banking on the fact that he you know had made great designs for the first film and but the problem is conceptualizing and building something are two very different acts yes yes it, one is the idea one's the actual action and he had some ideas but they didn't take them but he ended up getting his money because i guess they made a documentary and he's like no i'm not gonna talk at all unless you give me my cash i'm sure there's he has more unused ideas than used ideas. Because apparently he also designed a Batmobile for Batman Forever that was not used. What? Yeah. <laughs> man, he, he is an idea man. He's an idea man, sure. But like, it's important to also execute those ideas and not strong arm people into money or Academy <laughs> Award nominations. Or make crazy ideas like having a face, an aquatic face hugger. That doesn't have anything to do with the movie. Yeah, I think he he wanted the prestige of having an Oscar nomination attached to his name. Like yeah. it, it, you can't, you can't say that the first film wouldn't happen without yeah. H.R. Giger. Like he was very important and integral to the development and concept of that film. Much However, respect. there Aliens was a much different film than what was um, than the first film. In this film, well, is is very similar to the first film. Not the same, of course. Mm -hmm. And it's different. Yes. And, you know, much respect. We wouldn't be where we are without him, right? But come on, dude. Just take the L. 
Just <laughs> take the L. You got acknowledgement. You don't need a nomination. You don't need to fax the Academy <laughs> Award, which he ended up faxing them. Again. Leave these poor people alone. This man loves his fax machine. He even sent a black pentagram saying that he like just highly, he felt you know that they're they're in a coup against him for not giving him a nomination. You know, I feel disrespected by the Academy too because Parasite be once upon a time in Hollywood for all the Academy Awards, but I'm not sending crazy fax messages to the Academy <laughs> voicing my displeasure because you know what? What's done is done. It happened. <laughs> Though he's smart sending faxes because you can't block them. They're coming. Right. You can unblock them. That man, he's smart in a way, but no, Giger. Thank you, but goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Oh man, what did you think of the alien though? Did it look cool to you? It's like red and slinky. It looks exactly the same as the one from the first <laughs> film. Like the only time it's different is when we see the crappy visual effects shots of it going on all fours. And we also see for the first time in the series we call it a I guess we'll call it alien vision. Yeah, they had a good idea, but like they mounted the camera low to the ground and just kind of put it on a machine, I think, and just sent it down the hallway. Good idea, but a creature just doesn't glide, <laughs> especially one with four limbs. <laughs> well, and it looks like it's just a bubble lens, yeah. which if this is supposed to be a highly advanced, intelligent creature, I would want something that's a little more sophisticated than a bubble lens to look through. <laughs> right? Like, like not something that looks straight out of Predator in thermal vision, but just something that's a bit more intimidating than, you know, an oval lens. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like sonar smell, like vapor smells that it's able to, to track humans with. I mean, because if, if it if it truly does take on the characteristics of a dog, mm. you would think like, oh, it's able to smell or like see smells or something like that. Yeah, but no, they. Well, it's they, just a bubble lens that's close to the ground. <laughs> that doesn't even like trot or move. They just slid it along because they tried to have a dog. I know. I'm not easily impressed by effects that I can easily recreate. That's all. <laughs> oh, man. Right? I mean, the CGI is, well, it's not that good. It didn't age well at all. It's no. very, it almost looks like it's pasted on the screen, like how they used to do. Like <laughs> they had the movie playing and then they just pasted this thing. So it's very, it pops out. I mean, God bless them, they tried. Yeah. They really did try, but you see, I think most of the visual effects work went to making the animatronic bishop, mm. and then also the um, the dummies for um, Newton Hicks. Yeah. And, but, the scenes, like, sad. But a lot of, like, in, like, the close-up shot of the alien, especially when it's in Sigourney Weaver's face, is, yes, that's a brilliant shot. Beautiful. But, like, you don't see the alien for the majority of the film. You mm -hmm. see it snatch up um, Andrews into the vents. You briefly see it as it's killing Clemens. There is a lot of this film where you actually don't see the alien. No. And they tried to recreate the first one. You can definitely see them recreating the scenes. They didn't want to show it too much, which I did enjoy. You know, they spent the first hour without it really killing. But when it was there... It was almost underwhelming. Well, there's also no point in trying to hide the alien because we just had a sequel where there was dozens of aliens on screen. <laughs> right. Like we know what they look like now at this point. <laughs> the mystique is lost. It's like seeing the shark in Jaws for the first time, and then they try to hide it in the other films. Like we know what it looks like. <laughs> just how many show different? Us. How many different twenty-five foot great white sharks do you have? It's because they ran out of money for the CGI, and they tried putting a dog. They actually dressed up a dog as the alien because they're like maybe. We just have a dog run around in a costume and it'll be scary. But 
It's a cute dog. Right. A dogs do- are dogs. They're not going to, like, you can't teach it to be mean like that because I saw videos of it running around and it was so cute. Well, that <laughs> just insults viewers' intelligence. Like, people will recognize that it's a dog. Right. I mean, it's not like Star Trek where you can spray paint a dog and get away with it because it's television. This is... This is a movie. This is a movie. You spent 50 to 60 million Audiences on the Audiences are much smarter these days. They're <laughs> able to see crappy visual effects or like dogs on screen <laughs> or cows that are spray painted. We can figure that out. <laughs> they blew their budget. They blew their budget on scenes like at the end with uh, Dutton being attacked by the alien or like Sigourney Weaver trying to grab its tail. That was such a bad scene. It was yeah. like it was all black and... I don't know what they were trying to go for. I'm like, this is really bad. Really and bad. you can clearly tell up until a certain point where they had a finished script. Yes. And it, I think it's up to the scene where Andrews is killed. Mm-hmm. And then they, they're trying to figure out what to do next. And there's this rousing speech that uh, that Dylan gives, which belongs in a football movie more than it does in an alien movie. <laughs> and then they rally together. They come up with a plan. At first, they think they're going to burn the creature out. Yeah. But then that doesn't work. And then they have to do this bait and chase scene, Mm -hmm. which lasts about 10 minutes longer than it should. It was very long. And I think it's because of the camera shot for the alien. Why it just feels so lousy. Because you see him running, running, running. And then this go back to the bubble lens, gliding along, running, 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 bubble lens. Up, kill someone, bubble lens, kill someone. Because they had too many people. And they didn't want to... I guess they didn't want to like keep the guys all alive. They wanted it to be down to two. Well, and at this point in the film, it's also too late to try and get to know any of these characters. Yeah. And there is no point in keeping them around. You have a cast of characters that's already too big to begin with. Mm. And by the time the third act starts, they're all still around for the most part, with the exception of um, a, a couple of the prisoners, uh, Clemens, Andrews. They're still here. They're still here. And then you have to find a way to kill them off in quick succession. That's why the explosion <laughs> happens. Great effect. But we all we can see what that is. It's just a clear <laughs> attempt to tear down the cast of characters you have. And then you have this bait and chase scene where it's just a convenient excuse to kill off Pete Postlewaite and a yes. couple of other characters. Literally the one guy that, well, you know, he's a hell of an actor from his like three minutes on screen. You're like, this guy's going somewhere. And even he's killed off. It's like, all right, so you killed off the two guys that you, you we spent time with and now killing off everyone. It's like, why do I care? But the pacing is totally off, especially after Dylan lures the alien into the smelting pot and the lead is poured on him. Yeah. And then it pops out for some reason. I know. I was really confused by that. I really thought. Like, that's molten lead. Yeah. And then it explodes. Yeah, because I think they, they poured water on it and it caused the lead to cool. So and it just, it expa- I guess it shrunk. Yeah. And then... Exploded. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't. I'm. I'm not a chemistry major. I don't know how that works. I don't either. It, but it just seemed like a baffling way to to kill it. And again, it's this whole no weapons thing that they they wanted in the clause. And then the pacing's all off because then the company shows up. Yeah. They they last want, five minutes. It's like where's the alien? Like oh it's dead. It's like <laughs> and then Bishop, 2.0 shows up. Like we want that one. That's that, that's in your chest. <laughs> Trust me. I'm not here to hurt you. Yeah, anytime somebody shows up in the last 10 minutes of a film and says, trust me, they're not worthy of trust. <laughs> There's no way. Because you know they're not going to help her. You saw them open up Newt's chest. You're like, There's no way she's going to cut into her esophagus. And put- yeah, right. Yeah, right. Oh, we have Medical Bay on the ship. Come on. 
Let's go. Well, and also just straight up lie to her by saying we you can still have a family, children, you can have a life. Like, what life does she have left? There's nothing. Her surrogate family's gone. She's gone through so much trauma. She's the last survivor of two incidents. Yes. Like, what the hell else does she have to live for? <laughs> this woman has so much PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> no. And she says that throughout the film. She's like, just kill me. Let me die. It's like... Yeah, well, she has that great line too. Like for so long, all I you all I can remember is you. Mm. That's so good. Yeah, because like, this has just encompassed so much of her life. Like there was so she had a lot of light in her before the event. The, the events of this series started. Mm-hmm. Like she had she oh. had a child on Earth. She had a home, and then she lost all her friends on the Nostromo. Everybody on the Sulaco is now dead. Hicks is gone. Newt's gone. Her surrogate daughter. Yeah. Everybody's gone. Yeah. And now she has an alien queen in her chest. <laughs> and no matter what happens, she's going to die from this. It's like the ultimate F you her yeah. life. And just... then just to drop herself into a vat of molten lead was the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice and taking the queen with her. I know. She's like, the queen bursts out. She's like, no, you don't. <laughs> just holding on. I felt that this film just had such a finality to it. You know, with that, like, she's done. We don't need any more. I know you definitely feel more hopeful about this than I do. Mm-hmm. And But at the end, it's just, it's so sad to watch her die. Mm-hmm. I mean, her sacrifice is very noble, but... I don't know. Like what a sad life. Oh no! no what, what do you take away from it that makes you so hopeful, though? Hopeful. Oh, I just like the storytelling. I'm not hopeful about it. <laughs> I just felt, you know, let her die. What a sacrifice way to go. There's no reason for her to continue on. Like, who would want to with all that trauma? You know, give her, give her the one thing that you wanted. You know, let her die. But you know, there's a sequel, and yeah, but. That's why I felt this is such a finality to it. You know, it even ends with the planet, you know, from the first film and the doors shutting and bye. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. Well, speaking of finality, though, <laughs> do you have any lens flares? Oh, God. Lens flares. You know, that rape scene was a lens flare because it was just so trope filled for me. Like, yep, yeah, you have a bunch of rapists on the planet. You just got to have that. You know, we can't just have, you know progressive thought or you know these people are changing by the religion you know gotta have that a woman (laughs) you can lose all control of function that or the um the alien shot that with the bubble lens was kind of it was just so it like jars you in a way how about you i'm gonna have to go with that big explosion the big explosion that kills just about half of the prisoners there yeah because it's it it kicks off you know but i think a you know there's a con who's He's grabbed and he's killed by the alien. Drops that flare and it's just, oh. and it blows everybody up. Yes, it's a it's a great effect, but it's so transparent as to why why we have a big underground explosion. And it builds towards it because he drops the flare, but then picks it up. You're like, he's totally gonna die. Like Michael Bay <laughs> saw this on screen and was just like, oh, I want that in my movies. Every movie from here on out, I'll have. <laughs> It is the briefest moment in David Fincher's career where he turned into Michael Bay. <laughs> Just very subtle. Oh, God. It, it influenced filmmakers for on and on. <laughs> I get, though, because they couldn't, they couldn't figure it out. So just, eh, let's kill him. Right. Uh, how about any, uh, well, my red shirt, I already said. Do you have a red shirt? Mine is Pete Postlewaite. 
Yeah. Um, his character actually is named Hostaway, which I thought was just clever. And <laughs> and you can tell he was like a very last minute inclusion. Like, what do we call this guy? Well, we have Pete Hostaway. That's a great name. <laughs> And he only shows up at the beginning, really, of the bait and chase scene, but then he's immediately killed. So he's got, what, like eight or nine minutes of screen time? Yep. But you know it's Pete Hostaway, and he's just, he's killed. He's bisected in the neck. Oh, yeah. Because the door closes, you see the little window, and you're like, oh, he's either going through the window, they're shooting through, like, he's going to die. But then he's got that slow turnaround that just seems like a massive trademark of this series, and <laughs> the alien is right there and goes, the little mouth just goes, Bush. <laughs> Bye-bye, Postal Wait. I actually saw a criticism about that, where they're like, why did you introduce a character to kill him off in the last half? <laughs> it's one of the many, many problems, which is why if you write a movie, finish the script. Do a movie, finish the script. Don't film half of it and then be like, oh, crap, what do we do? <laughs> you can, we can tell, which brings us to us being angry. What about the fans? Toxic fandom, baby. There is a lot that people were upset about, but I think the one that I identified the most with is this one. Quote, there is no logical ex explanation for how the alien egg appears on the Sulaco at the beginning of the film. Although it has been speculated that the queen alien laid the egg when she was hiding in the landing gear of the dropship, the alien egg is clearly not inside the landing gear after it is hatched. It appears to be somewhere either inside the dropship or elsewhere in the Sulaco. Since the alien queen was never in the interior compartment of the dropship and certainly never made it past the cargo bay of the Sulaco, there is no explanation for how the egg got where it is. Well, they're not wrong. No, they're <laughs> not wrong. This I chose this one like because this is the one I identify the most with. It's like, how? Yeah. How does this happen? <laughs> Me too. Because they had, they without it, there was no movie, Chris. <laughs> the giant plot hole from the beginning well i also don't like the fact that like this question gets answered in subsequent like alien like <sighs> entries into the f in the in the whole media franchise because in the crappy video game alien colonial marines like this question <laughs> is answered as to like why uh, like how hicks is still alive and how the egg got on board like those questions are answered in different of media like and i shouldn't have to do that <laughs> i shouldn't have to consume so many different other pieces of media just to find out one question <laughs> that's that yeah that is obnoxious yeah what the heck it's like that it's like those big conspiracy boards with the red strings it's like <laughs> oh this is because of this thing and that's because of this and this was explained in that like i shouldn't have to do that just i don't need a flow chart to answer plot holes <laughs> for one freaking crappy script yeah because they, they got out of it quick. They're like, oh, let's just show a little face hugger at the dog, you know? Uh, I feel you. That was actually my toxic fandom, too, because it doesn't make sense. No, it does not. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they had to get another movie. And yeah. so this movie was not very well received. It, it, it Rotten Tomatoes, no bueno critics, no. no this no, was... No, no, no. <laughs> This was not well received. This no, is considered no. a box office flop in North America because it only grossed $159.8 million during its theatrical run. It actually opened the same weekend as Lethal Weapon 3, Ooh. which not the best idea. <laughs> as Sean was saying, it's got a 45 on Rotten Tomatoes, 59 on Metacritic, yeah. Cinema Score C. Fox actually has the audacity of claiming this is the highest grossing film of the Alien franchise. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. It's... No, it's it. <laughs> Douchebags. Douchebags. 
<laughs> you lying douchebags. You use creative accounting so you don't have to make Alien 2. <laughs> and you have the stones to say that this movie made you the most money. Wow. Even Siskel, uh, uh, Siskel and Ebert hated it. They gave it two thumbs down, which I guess, you know, back in the day, that was a big thing. Yeah, they did not like it. And what's amazing to me as well is that there's so many past uh, people who were involved with previous films that were really kind of poo-pooing this movie. Like Michael Bean has expressed his dissatisfaction. So has James Cameron, um, prominent movie uh, novelist uh, Alan Dean Foster has all expressed his uh, all expressed their frustrations. And even the director David Fincher himself is. <laughs> Not a fan of this movie. Of his own work. He hates it. Yeah. Well, he, he has effectively disowned this movie. Which is nuts. I I bet if he could have switched his name, he would have. At the You know, how sometimes movie directors do it. But it was his first go. So he didn't want to screw his career over. Which, hey, for your first one being lousy and getting to where you are now, that's pretty good. He, he blamed the producers for not trusting him to actually execute what they wanted to do. And... It's it's crazy to think that a director like you just you have want nothing to do with your debut, which is nuts. But and, you know, it's a three-hour film trimmed to like an hour fifty. Well, and he was the only director that didn't want anything to do with subsequent re-releases. Oh wow! Yeah, like they there was a big um, they packaged all four films together in what they call the Alien Quadrilogy. About 20 years ago, they put them all on DVD, but he wanted nothing to do with it. He didn't want any input for the special features or how the film would be presented. The only thing that he, the only thing that he like, it, like is involved with is there is like Alien and Aliens, there's a director's cut, which they call the assembly cut, which David Fincher has given his blessing to. This is, it, this adds like almost 40 minutes of additional footage mm. and more special features, um, and things like that but fincher for the most part is just like nope nothing to do yes you can do that assembly cut just don't put my name on it <laughs> i want to it's tacit agreement is what it is yeah, it's kind of it's one of those things like i don't see it therefore like i agree to it <laughs> burn it from i have memory. no problem because i can't see it <laughs> which i may watch the assembly cut one day you know I don't know. Like I, I watch this. I watch Alien Three on YouTube, and me too. Uh, <laughs> and there, yeah, there was no mention of like, uh, oh, you can watch the assembly cut for five dollars. So yeah. I think the assembly cut is only available on the uh, quadrilogy or the uh, Blu-ray set. But yeah, the the assembly cut's nowhere to be found in uh, in streaming or renting services. What a what a bummer. You know, this film, like everything, gets Saturn Awards seven. Seven nominations. Seven nominations, not a single win. <laughs> <laughs> eh, figures. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I think nineteen ninety two was a bit of a lacking year in science fiction. So yeah, uh, I mean, with the well, also Terminator two came out this year, so there was no way you were going to supplant that as the best of anything. <laughs> and even like Aladdin, because I was looking at the Saturn Awards for that year, like Robin Williams won for the Genie, so I guess the Genie counts as Saturn. I don't uh, know. Uh, I don't mean like voice performances, but I, yes, uh, I was like, okay, that's uh, that's kind of interesting. Oh uh, yeah, my mistake. Terminator Two did not come out in 1992, but let me Dracula. 1992, big year for movies. Aladdin, like you said, The Bodyguard, Home Alone Two, Basic <laughs> Instinct, <laughs> Lethal Weapon Three, Batman Returns, Star Trek: The Undiscovered Country, one best sci-fi film. Which you know, I'll take that. You know, sure. I love not? that movie. <laughs> Compared to, let's see, Free Jack, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, The Lawnmower Man, and Memoirs of an Invisible Man. 
Wow, what a category. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I'm good. We're good. We're good on this movie. (laughs) So with that in mind, (laughs) let's rate Alien 3, if we can. Sure. (laughs) On our unique scale of the on the Force Fed Sci-Fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own. And we're host of Viewing Party. Jean, what do you give to Alien 3? Alien 3. Well, while it is a remake, essentially almost a rehash of the first film uh, in every way, there are some good moments. I, you know, as we said, I feel the first hour of this film is actually pretty decent, despite everything. It's just that last 50 minutes that really suck because they did not know what they were doing. I would put this actually as a uh, wood watch. I'm interested into seeing uh, the extended cut. I think to me, yeah, the assembly cut would be, you know, kind of intriguing. I don't think it's a terrible, terrible film where it's just so painful to watch. There's a lot of good moments, but a lot of bad. And it's just because of that, the script was just so lousy that I feel like Finch just really had to pull something together in the studio pandering. So would watch for me. Fair enough. Uh, But you, sir? You know, I think there's a good movie in here somewhere. I think there should have been a more of a better combination of all the past versions of the script that came before it. Um, and it's weird to see William Gibson's script become the accepted version, even though that was not made. Um, and the decision to kill Hicks and Newt is still baffling to me. Like there's no rhyme or reason to it. It's just to make Ripley have even more of nothing, I guess (laughs) left to lose. And, Ripley this time around seems less the brilliant badass we know her from the past few films and more like this hopeless damsel who just has profound PTSD. And and only this time around, she's just, instead of being surrounded by people who seem to be good or want to help, she's just surrounded by cons, convicts and people who want to rape her. And the visual effects now nowadays, they're incredibly dated. It's They're more laughable than anything else. And I think the characters themselves are really just names that are waiting to be killed. There's 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 not enough time to sympathize with them or connect with them or get to know them on any level. And by the time the movie is over, we don't even remember half of their names. <laughs> and you were you're more generous than I will be to Alien Three. I'm calling this a wouldn't watch. Ooh. I think the series should have ended after Aliens. Mm-hmm. There was no better you weren't gonna make any film that was going to be better than Alien or Aliens by any measure, and it should have just ended right there with Bishop, Ripley, Newt, and Hicks all going off to stasis and going back to Earth. Yeah. So that's my reason. Alien 3 would not watch. Sean <laughs> would watch. I feel like there should be a parenthesis there, the assembly cut. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if I ever revisit. Uh, but you know what, Chris, while you, while you did say it should have ended last movie, unfortunately, there's another one. There is another one. And they resurrect this series for one more go. And guess what? We're watching it. Yeah, that's going to be our next movie, <laughs> Alien Resurrection. Sigourney Weaver probably got like $20 million. <laughs> To show up and play Ripley for a movie that should have been in another franchise. Yes. Even more script control. Oh, yeah. So that'll be for next time. <laughs> uh, as always, Sean, it is a pleasure to discuss these movies with you. 
Likewise, my friend. All right. And if you all enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Force-Fed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. And so for all of us at the Force Fed Sci-Fi team, we'll see you next time.